searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. It's Mike from the Pitch Please podcast. Today, we're here with Shub from Celeste. They are smart glasses for people with vision loss. They're based out of Vancouver, Canada. Today, I'm also going to spend some time learning about Shub's background with Next36 as the Next36 founder. Let's jump into it. You want to hear his pitch, not mine. So, Shub, dive us in. What uh, what have you been up to, man? Hi. Yeah, no, thanks. Great to be here. I'm working on Celeste. We're making smart glasses to give people's vision loss back their independence and freedom. I've been interested in entrepreneurship since middle school. I've done a couple startups in like grade 10, throughout university. The biggest one by far is Celeste. Started about two years ago in university. That's cool. So you jumped into this right out of university. I got a question actually, even before that, you're wearing glasses. If we're on video and you can see this, if you're on audio, you're going to know that Shub's wearing some glasses. Are those part of this smart glasses for people with vision loss that you're wearing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like these are the glasses we released. So there are a lot of Paralympic athletes out there wearing our glasses right now. Wow. I'm liking that they're super fashionable. So we'll talk about those more in a second, but you jumped into this right out of university. Was there like you were an entrepreneur a couple other times. What are some of the things that you worked on before before Celeste? Yeah, initially in middle school, when I got into this whole space, I was really big into robotics. And so I thought this was going to be the future. I'm like, I want to make robots for like every home. I don't want to do my own chores anymore. I want like a robot to do that for me. Uh, and so I like mess around with these like... You no, know there's Roomba now, right? Huh? Roomba? Yeah, now there's Roomba. So now that, that's been solved partially. But I'm like, looks get them to like fold my clothes and dishes and like Jetsons, you know, Jetsons, you have a robot. Yeah. yeah it's like that a reality. I hit my limit with Lego robot sets. I did that. I'm like, okay, this is, uh, I don't know how to get, go from there. Then I worked on, actually in grade 10, I joined this like student club where we made blankets that turned into pillows. So we literally like the student club. I was the quote unquote CTO. I made like the website and stuff, but we literally hand sewed blankets together and like went out and sold them. Uh, that was a pretty fun experience as well. So you've sort of always had this like entrepreneurial spirit to you. You've liked tinkering, especially on like physical things. It sounds like not just like ideas, but like physical, tactile things, robots. You're in glasses now. You made a blanket that turns into a pillow. So you've always sort of liked being a, not even just an entrepreneur, but an inventor, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Like the physical aspect was huge. I mean, I'm big into coding and software, but I don't know that idea of like, Iron Man, we came to be in a workshop and actually physically work on something that was uh, very interesting to me. So you want to be like the next Tony Stark. You don't want to be like the next unicorn CEO, the Toby, the Zuckerberg. You want to be like Jetsons or Tony Stark is like your vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. No, like Iron Man 1 is one of my top five, like all favorite movies. It's because of that idea. I love it. So then Help me understand the sequence of events. You started Celeste, then joined Next36, or you started Next, joined Next36, then started Celeste. How does that work? Yeah, so I started Celeste about two years ago, and Next36 started in January this year. So I came into the program with an idea already, which is somewhat unusual. Like, the program is designed to be 
a lot of times people come in without an idea and they build it. Some people come with an idea like me and then build it throughout. So before we even dive into Celeste, can you just tell me more than for anyone that's listening, what is Next36? Is this 36 founders? Are you like one of 36? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of the 36 people that got selected. I think with co-founders and everything, it became like 42. It's not exactly fit to the name. It's a Canadian incubator. And I think what they do that's really special is focus on the person rather than the idea. The whole concept is that 36 people enter the program. They work with each other. They find co-founders within the program and start an idea and build it out throughout the six months. And at the end of the month, at the end of the program in August, there's a big demo day. You pitch to uh, investors, to a bunch of people, and it just helps you kick off your idea. And really, they try and grow you as a person. So they don't even, honestly, they don't even care about the idea you work on in the cohort, in the program. Hopefully that works out. But a lot of the companies that have come out of Next36, it's their second or third idea that they worked on that eventually blew up and uh, made them successful. So they focus on the individual growth and leadership. And over time, that should translate into what you're doing as a business and they connect you with resources. Are, so there's, are they like learning pro? Is it like an education path? Like, how does it work? And what are the criteria to get in if someone's curious? And, and where did you land in the draft pick? Were you like 36 of 36, two of 36? I'm curious. Oh, well, they didn't tell us those rankings. That'd be, oh, okay. that'd be dead. But we'll, there'll be rankings at the end. So we'll see at the end who, who's where. So the program is a lot of workshops and professors, like the two people that co-founded the program, Reza Sachu and Ajay Agarwal, they're both Harvard professors. They're both like big entrepreneurs themselves. Uh, and so they'll come and do classes, which was a big reason I wanted to join the program. Doing an MBA at Harvard was always just so interesting to me. And this is basically a, almost a mini version of that, specifically on entrepreneurship, where these amazing professors and successful entrepreneurs come and talk about their journey and teach you how to be an entrepreneur. And they tell you advice that is not obvious. Uh, it's not stuff that you normally hear like publicly or through other like platforms, things like that. So I think that's what's special about the program. We keep it real. They're honest and they're brutal. And so the classes have been really, really interesting and fun and learned a lot. What's been like, so I, I like that. They tell you some stuff that you haven't heard anywhere before. So like, can we hear one on the podcast? What's like one of your favorite like real talks that you've had at Next36 that you think other people that are trying to be a, a founder or entrepreneur or are already doing it should hear? Yeah. Okay. So one of these things, and this is a hot take, when you're looking at VCs, investors, the number one thing that you care about is, and it seems obvious, but it, it really is money and keeping control. A lot of VCs will go and say, we're providing you a ton of value in all these other spaces. And that's true. You know, they have great advisors, great mentors. That stuff is amazing. But really, no one knows more about the company than you. And so the one or like number one thing you want to get out of funding is really the money and maintain, making sure you keep control of the company, not letting someone who's spending an hour a week or less decide where business is going. That should be decisions that are made by you and not letting like analysts who can spend a little bit of time looking into your company help make decisions for what your company's doing when you're spending 80, 100 hours a week, whatever, work not every day like for the best. And so that was something interesting where these lot of funds talk about like the value they bring and obviously there is value, but understanding like the context behind that was really interesting in the talk. That makes sense. So still it's like, hey take advice, learn, get input. But at the end of the day, you're spending the most time on this. So ride with confidence. Money is going to be an important piece. So don't overshadow the money and control aspect when you're, you know, don't get uh, distracted by shiny objects. Like your mission's money and control. 
and continue to take all the learning and advice and connections because you'll get them through your VC or funding rounds, but you can get them elsewhere as well. So interesting hot take. I don't know. I, I, I've never personally raised, so I can't say if I agree or disagree. Maybe we'll start a debate online about that, but I, I like it. So that's the kind of stuff you guys talk about. So Celeste, you said it's abnormal to come in with an idea. How did, and, and we'll do more of your pitch and the background of Celeste, but maybe like where and how did that come to be? Because you sort of went from internships to wishing to be Tony Stark <laughs> to looking me in the eye with some Tony Stark-like glasses and then adopting your way into Next 36. Where in that journey did Celeste come about? Was there something profound that sparked this for you? Like you mentioned, Noah, I started during university. And so it was really, I was in class and just bored and thinking about the future of technology. I think everything I work on is I, I try and think like really big picture, you know, like robots for every home. And like, I was just thinking of the future of technology. And I thought, Smart glasses just seems like the uh, natural progression after phones. Like I think everyone's going to be using smart glasses after phones and it's going to be the new way to use technology. And so I was just really excited about that space. And so I started uh, reading a lot of research papers and general smart glasses, talking to researchers about smart glasses. I even like made some of my own. Like it was literally just like a, the videos are so funny. It's like an Android, a giant LED and like a mirror that's like really close to my eye. And it's like trying to replicate my own pair of like AR glasses and then I realized that the display technology for AR glasses was just too early and I wasn't going to be the one yeah I don't have a PhD or anything in that space I wasn't going to be the one to innovate there and so what I thought is let me look at another space where smart glasses are useful right now and I can like solve a problem with them right now and in the future once we do figure out this display technology I can go and make smart glasses for everybody uh, and so I was thinking about that and I have a friend in university who's blind and he studies computer science with me and he's a much better programmer than I am. I'd be complaining about assignments and things like that. And he'd be complaining about going grocery shopping and getting from class to class and taking notes and all these things. And I'm like, okay, this is something that smart glasses can solve right now. We don't need a display, but we just need a camera, mic and speaker, and we can use AI to help give him independence and like do these tasks on his own. And are you a sole founder? Do you have co-founders? How big is your team? Is, is this individual that sort of inspired you part of Celeste? Yeah, he's a very, very close advisor to us. He eventually couldn't like work and started full-time. He's like an international student. There's all these issues that came up. But I do have a co-founder. I initially started alone. So I was alone for the first year of Celeste. And then I brought on a co-founder. I brought on like interns to help develop the software for what doing. So right now I have one co-founder, his name is Sunny Choi. He's the CTO, so he's managing a lot of the tech that goes on to enable our glasses. We also have a team of one other developer and one other person to help with a go-to-market strategy. And that person that's helping go-to-market strategy, he's actually previously heading sales strategy for one of our competitors, also in smart glasses. And so that was amazing to have someone on the team that has experience in the industry. That's solid. And did you meet them and were they connections through Next36? No, this was all before 36. So this is just me talking to friends in university to bring them on. Uh, the, per the sales director, he was just someone I reached out to on LinkedIn as an advisor, just someone who could give us advice. And then he just liked what we're doing. Wow. How hard was that process, like finding this co-founder? So like, I assumed you, I guess I assumed you did it through Next36 because it sounds like that's a part of it. But since you started solo, some people start with someone. You started solo and then went out seeking help 
to bring in. How was that? Was that hard? What worked best for you as you were kind of trying to decide who, like, yeah. I'm sure everyone was like, yeah, this idea sounds amazing or yeah, let me in. So you probably had to make some decisions to keep people that like didn't make sense to be co-founders or help inspire people to jump into this. Like what was like the learning and doing that yourself? Yeah, no, I mean, it is tough. I think it's a tough, there weren't as many people like reaching out and being like, hey, let's do this together. I guess I'm also maybe a control freak and so I didn't want to bring on somebody that didn't have the same passion for what we're doing, same like vision for what this could be as me. And also it's a huge commitment, right? Like we're sure there's school, but you're giving up your life to go work on the startup. And even after university, you're going to go work unpaid for a little while, like all these things, you're giving up a lot. And so I actually got super lucky where we had some grant funding where we could go and hire interns. And so I did that. And one of those interns, there's just a university student hiring other university students. <laughs> and so they're all just like people, my, like, it was really close, uh, like easy to be friends with them. And one of them was just incredibly smart. He was incredibly hardworking. He built out the majority of the platform. And he also really understood the vision. He helped. Like I volunteer with Paralympic athletes in Vancouver that are blind. And so he came with me to volunteering, things like that. And so I brought him on as a co-founder. I'm like, we need you full time on this. And he was able, he was ready to commit. That's amazing. So you're obviously a little bit convincing uh, as well. And you inspired some people. I guess that's the part that maybe is harder, right? If you've got big money and big numbers, it's like at the beginning when it's going to take lots of hard work and lots of sweat and not a lot of money, not a lot of fame it's harder to get people invested. They have to be passionate about what you're doing. And so I guess naturally you find those that are equally passionate about what you're doing because it's going to take that work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like we had somebody else reach out to us. Now that you're talking about it, I remember like we had someone else reach out to us who was this Microsoft engineer and he wanted to help and like be a co-founder. But he was also like farther along, like he was a manager now and he didn't want to code like himself. Like he wanted to outsource that and all these things. And I'm like, we're too early for that. Like you need to put in the work now. And so even though he had his amazing experience, it just wouldn't be a fit. Yeah, fair enough. Um, was there anyone like, maybe it was Tony Stark, I don't know, man. But was there anyone that inspired you to be an inventor or be an entrepreneur, like someone in your life, someone external? Like what sort of, was it just you tinkering and then one thing led to another? Or was there someone that sort of you've always looked up to or inspired by? Tony Stark or otherwise? Yeah, yeah. No, I've honestly definitely... Like Tony Stark, the classic Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. I watched a lot of anime as well, and just seeing amazing people do amazing things was just inspiring. But um, no, my my uncle is an entrepreneur, and so my uncle started a company. He's started a company initially in India. He moved to America. He built it out. He sold it for millions of dollars, and he moved back to India and is now a startup. And so whenever I go back to India, I just am glued to him. Like I talk to him. Even now, like I talk to him all the time, asking for advice. I talk about him, uh, to him about his journey. And again, like he'll keep it real. He's family. And so he tell me his reality, the struggles of what he's done. We ask him questions. And so that was amazing to go talk to him. Like last time I visited India, he brought me to all of the talks that he did, to like the influential people that he's met. He brought me to like a cool party where I met like some crazy entrepreneurs and people had to done amazing things so he's been a real inspiration as shout well. out shub's uncle man i think that's important like sometimes you need those role models or people that you can have very real conversations with i think uh, like it's part of even this podcast like i have conversations where there's no specific outcome i'm trying to drive other than learning from 
a bunch of great founders that are at multiple stages of their journey, what got them here, what they'd advise others to do, and hopefully someone can learn along the way. Now, let's talk about Celeste. I'm going to want your pitch in a second, but like, how did the name come up? How did you get to the name Celeste? It doesn't sound like glasses or smart AR glasses. So I imagine there's some backing or something that, that came or maybe just whiteboard and a couple of drinks and that's how you got there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, when I first started the company at UBC, it was called Angel Glasses. Okay. That was the name of the yeah. company. And that was just because I was forced to come up with a name because I was feeling like And then you had someone in marketing and they're like, dude, horrible <laughs> idea. Yeah. And then I'm like, I don't want the word glasses in the name of the company. It's too, it needs to be more abstract or whatever. But I still like the idea of like angels and like heavenly and like big picture and celestial and things like that. And so. I like the idea of like space stars. So Celeste, uh, our, our Celeste, our company is spelled slightly wrong. Celeste is normally spelled with a C. It's C-E-L-E-S-T-E. Um, but that's been taken. <laughs> and so, but I like that name. It, was, um, it means heavenly in Latin, Celeste. Uh, and so I replaced the C with an S and still sounds the same. Uh, and also it was a name as well. But um, yes. Okay, okay. It makes sense. I like this tied angels, celestial, start... At least all you had to do was change the C to an S. Some people have to like remove consonants, add vowels. It's like all this. Yeah. You know, you take the E out, you make it a double E. People are just whiteboarding for days. So cool to see how you got there. Let's learn a little bit more about Celeste. Shub, this is the part of the, the podcast where we want to hear from you. So Shub, your pitch, please. Great. So we're making smart glasses to help people with vision loss. People with vision loss often face problems with day-to-day tasks that we take for granted, like cooking or going grocery shopping or looking at an Amazon packet. They often have to rely on other people for help with these tasks, but that takes away their independence and freedom. We've made smart glasses with a camera, mic, and speaker that will use AI so that you can walk into a restaurant, pick up a menu, and the glasses will read the menu to you. We also detect objects. We tell you about the people around you, about your environment, and more so that you can do tasks on your own and give back your independence. We also have video calling on the glasses, so you can call friends, family, or volunteers for help with more complex tasks and get help at any time. That's super cool. I'm getting some, in my past world, you know, I worked a little bit in HoloLens and mixed reality, so I'm getting some flashbacks of some of those problem solvings. I want to learn a little bit more. So your solution is hardware-based, but also software-based. So you sell hardware with software, or they're independent of each other. How does that work? Yeah, so we ship We ship you a pair of glasses. They connect to our cell phone, like our mobile app. They connect over Bluetooth and your hotspot. And the magic of what we're doing is in the software. Like my co-founder and I are both computer scientists. Really, the hardware, the idea with the hardware was just keeping it really simple and like dumb. Having the software and the phone do a lot of the heavy processing and do a lot of the hard work so we could have glasses that are thin, that are affordable, and that can last a long time. Got it. And so when you're talking, make sure to keep me honest on this. So you said there's a camera, a mic, and speakers. So there's no augmented reality in the lens. It's actually about these additional things that are just attached to glasses, so they look like glasses. But the glasses are just the interface with the world and the interface with the individual, but through cameras, mics, and speakers, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's audio-based fully, and so you interact with the glasses. Uh, either through the mic, you can use voice assistant, there's buttons on the glasses, uh, and every all the output is through the speakers. Got it. 
how hard was that to build? Did you talked about at the beginning, like the software, we'll get into that and, and that makes sense, but I don't talk to a lot of people building products. I've had a couple on the show and it, the product journey is always way harder than people could ever imagine. So A, how did you do this? And B, why, I guess, did you decide you needed to equally build the hardware and the software simultaneously? I assume it's some aspect of things not existing, but I want to hear your take on this. Yeah, absolutely. No, that was a huge, huge challenge. Two years ago, I'm like, I want to build a smart glasses company. But again, I'm just like a student, very little money. I'm like, how am I going to do that? And I think at some point, it's really just this like confidence that's totally unwarranted of actually building smart glasses. And it was just like, like I took an Arduino and started messing around with it, attached a camera to it. It was pretty simple. There's a dev kit called an What's ESP32. an Arduino? What's an Arduino? Yeah, so Arduino or an ESP32, they're both these small dev kits that you can uh, okay. Literally in like high school, people, teachers give it to students to start getting into hardware a little bit. And so this is a good entryway to hardware. Okay, okay. That makes sense. I just needed to, I, I didn't know what it is. I imagine someone else doesn't know what it is. I never wanted to be Tony Stark, probably did, but yeah. So I used an Arduino, you started playing around, and then poof, you made glasses. <laughs> so the, what that dev what these dev tips let you do is create a proof of concept. And so I did this and I could I was able to get a video stream working from a very like just a camera attached to a small dev kit. And so that's the core of what we're doing is just video on a small device and then streaming that to a computer or a laptop, phone things like that. And so once I knew that was working, I got some really good advice, which is don't try and do the hardware yourself. Like we, again, I wanted to be a control freak. I wanted to do everything myself, but I knew my specialty was in software. And so I went out and looked at people that were doing hardware and just talked to them about what we're doing, talked to them about the vision of what we wanted. And they had experience in smart glasses. And so I tweaked the stuff that they've worked on already to fit our use case and spend from there. So I had hardware that was somewhat built already and this started integrating. Got it. And then, so you, do you buy that hardware or you're like completely from scratch yourself? You have to have a whole production process in place. Yeah. So there, there's this whole production process and everything, but like I said, they've done it before. And so it's not like I have to go and find. So you're able to like append and build on what they've got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not hard for them to go and change a couple of components, but for everything else, use the same suppliers they've been using for every for their other production. So it was just tweaking their production line. That's cool. I actually like really like that you were able to find someone equally willing to to do that. There was a a, a recording we did a few weeks back with the founder of a direct to consumer healthy dog food company called Cabo, and they by necessity of what they do, had to go build up distribution, kitchens, large-scale fridges and freezers. And one of the things that he shared was like entrepreneurs helping other entrepreneurs. He now has this capacity mm -hmm. um, that not every other person that's trying to create a food brand has, like the distribution, the freezers, the fridges. Like He's able to go help others and he's doing that. And so it sounds like you met someone with a similar heart that wanted to say, listen, like, We've got this product. You want to modify it and keep going yourself? Do that and then go build the software on it. So that's super cool. So the hardware was tricky, but you were fortunate that you did find something close that you're able to modify, which is actually an amazing lesson in software and hardware, which is if you can find something close, 
it's easier to modify or build upon someone's work. Stop trying to do everything ourselves. And so I love that you took that path to, to get Celeste started. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And part of it was also just making it like the hardware is incredibly simple for, I mean, it's still smart glasses, it's still tough, but it is just camera, mic, and speaker, and then having all the hard work be in the software. Uh, but then also being able to convince people that I was only able to do that because we had, I had to like go out and talk to people with vision loss, get traction, get pre-sales and be like, hey, here's people actually want this. And so I think that was the toughest part is it's hard to sell a vision when you don't have any proof behind it. It's like going out and getting the proof and getting the LOI, like letters of intent and whatever to show that, hey, if we work together, there is something here. So, so maybe talk about that. What stage are you at and what were some of those initial beginnings to get you rolling? These letters yeah. of intent and those initial days of getting hardware and software in people's hands. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is huge. Even outside of manufacturers, it's just for myself. Like I, I'm not blind. I, I'm fully sighted, but I'm making a product for people that are blind. And yeah, I have my friend that's blind. And I actually have another uncle that is blind as well, but there's a different uncle. But I am not blind myself. And so going out and just, literally going on Facebook groups and messaging people who are sight loss and just asking them to get on a call. The biggest thing I did was go out and like find a volunteer group within Vancouver. So I, like I said, I'm, I volunteer with Paralympic athletes in Vancouver. And so every Sunday we go play a sport called goalball. And you have to put these headbands on so that everyone's at the same level of sight, which is you can't see at all. And you throw this ball that has bells inside of it. And there's two nets on either side and three people defending it. And just chuck a ball and you defend it with your body and try and like guess where it's going from the noise. I've played it before, it's incredibly scary. It's also because I was playing with Olympic athletes and I was just my first time. Yeah, it, very, very cool. Like I get to see, um, I also get to see them like people with vision loss in their element, like the spatial awareness of being able to play this game is amazing. We want to know where other people on the court are, where the ball is, things like that. That being able to see was absolutely amazing. Like when I played, I was just cowering in a corner, hoping like nothing hit me. Just so scary. Um, but being able to interact with people with vision loss is huge and getting them to actually get pre-sales for our glasses. So what we did was saying, hey, here's like understanding the problem. And they were also very excited about smart glasses and this idea. And so I'm like, okay, I want to go out and build this and I want to give this to you. Uh, but we need some like money now to like go build this out. Like, would you be able to give us an early deposit on the glasses so that we can go build it out? And they were happy to do that itself. So. So it was like a little bit of like a manual GoFundMe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like I was thinking of doing a Kickstarter, but really is I would have to talk to every single person anyways who would be buying our glasses. Like each person was an hour, two hour long call, build a relationship with them. And then they give us some money after they trust me. And so, yeah, like a manual Kickstarter. That's amazing. How many people have or are using your smart glasses from Celeste today? Yeah, so right now we have 15 people that are using the glasses. We're actually shipping out to another 12 people this weekend. This is the people who put the deposits down like months and months ago. We're giving them the glasses. And it's just the same Paralympic athletes. But right now we're also, we kind of limited it to 25 in our first round because, again, it's hardware. We don't have, it's hard to build like a lot of it. We also want to make changes to it. And so, we limited it to 25. Our next round is in September. We're going to lease the glasses to 100 more people and just continue to get back. Wow. So this is like initial like feedback loop, essentially. Like you're putting it into people's hands or I guess on their heads. And it's your feedback loop of how does this work? How does it work? Now, you said that, you know, as people with vision impairment, is it for like complete vision impairment, partial for either? I guess it could work for either, right? Because you're just 
augmenting f- the physical world through audio. I get and man, so many questions. Wow. Okay, just stay there. Sorry. Hey, my brain's just got all these questions ready to go. Yeah, yeah. No, no worries. Yeah. So we're helping people that are legally blinded to completely blind. And so legally blind means that you have a vision of 20 over 200 after prescription. And so one other interesting thing is people can actually go to an optometrist and put in prescriptions into our glasses because some of them who are legally blind do want prescriptions. But then we also help people that are completely blind. No, yeah. Oh, got it. So you could use it, but still enhance or just use it where it's just a fashion piece, but you're using the audio, the spatial audio, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Like with prescriptions, it's great because it enhances your vision a little bit, but if you're still like at Starbucks and you're trying to read the menu that's behind the counter, you can't do that. And so that's where a glass that's fair. So, so to, maybe on that note, the Starbucks behind the counter, teach us a little bit about how the components and software work together and those use cases of what is or isn't capable with the hardware and software that you've built today. Yeah. So we've, um, what we do is we actually integrate with services like Azure. Uh, that's a big part of what we're doing. Of We send, we have these cloud services where we will take a phone on the glasses and send it to the cloud. And we'll either get back the text or the objects or the faces or the environment and then send that back to them through audio, through the speakers. This also means that we can integrate with a lot of features really easily because we're not trying to reinvent the wheel with AI. We're going to do a lot of things in AI in the future, but right now it's just finding these amazing services that exist and putting them onto our platform. So two weeks ago, somebody said they have trouble, trouble ordering an Uber. Because when they get an order in Uber, they don't know which car to get into. They can't see. And so what we did is found an existing model that will tell you the make and model of a car. So now with the glasses, and that took us one day to add to the glasses. So now with the glasses, you can go outside and I'll say this is a, a white Nissan or in 2013 white Nissan, whatever. And you can know, okay, this is the car I have to get into. Because you're using existing data models to train it on. And you're just using... Hey, how do you connect the data models with the image and response output and plug that into the glasses pretty quick? So you're innovating like impressively fast by just leveraging a bunch of amazing footing that's already been built. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of the stage we're at right now. Like we call every person that's using glasses every day. We're like, hey, can we get in a five minute call once a day? Even if you don't use the glasses that day, it's fine. It's just, I was just talking. That's been huge. And we've been updating our app on average twice a week. And so it's really just this having this feedback loop. And that's a big part of that was learning through Next36. That was advice we got from Ajay uh, directly is the biggest thing you need is this feedback loop and to iterate as fast as possible. And so that became our goal. That's super impressive. And it's so valuable, right? You're getting these real-time things. So I guess you're part of Founders Hub, Microsoft Founders Hub. We are. Yeah, we're part I of love Microsoft it. Founders Hub. That's small been helpful. Show. I think it's been uh, extensive. Yeah, small small shout out. I love that. I love that you're innovating on our on on the Microsoft platform, man. I obviously have a little bit of bias. This is Mike the Mike podcast, and it's called Pitch Please. But I do work at Microsoft, so it's always a little bit good to see that love and see how companies are using this to bring things to life. Now, I can't help but think: Are there competitors in this space? And if so, like, what does that landscape look like? And what do you think is kind of making you stand out and unique? You don't yeah. have to name drop them either. You don't have to give them free marketing, but if you want to, you, you can. No, that's okay. Yeah, so there's two main competitors. They're meaning it's Envision and OrCam. Uh, they're also making smart glasses for people with vision loss. One of them is using, they're working on top of Google Glass. And so they similarly will use AI to tell you about your surroundings. The other one is a clip-on that you put onto glasses. What we're doing that's unique is, one, these companies either process on the glasses or they do it on the cloud, which means 
on the glasses, you can get a very quick response time, uh, but you can only run simple AI models. Whereas on the cloud, you can run complex AI models, but it takes like maybe 15 seconds to get a response. Uh, because of the way we've set up our tech, we can actually run really complex AI and do it incredibly quickly. And just that opens up a lot of doors. It, it sounds like a simple concept, but that opens up a lot of doors where we can now do things that were previously uh, impossible, like being able to map out an indoor space. So this is like one of the kind of moonshot things we're working on, which is you can go to an airport and we can actually map out this building. And then the next person that goes to the airport, we can give them directions inside of it. And so there's things like that we can do because of the way we set up our tech. Wow. So you're doing some element of onboard processing and cloud processing, probably with the mobile device and cloud. So that's a little bit of your secret sauce is the ability to provide big and complex and low latency response times simultaneously. And and the other very big thing is these competitors also the glasses for four to six thousand dollars. And so the the market so far has been really targeting people that are like retired and have a ton of money or people that are covered by government grants and not the majority of people's vision loss where they say only 14.5 people in Canada with vision loss are employed. That's the employment rate for people with vision loss is 14.5%. Wow. Not the unemployment rate, the employment <laughs> rate. Yeah. And so what a huge thing of what we're done is make smart glasses that are affordable. And so we change our pricing structure where it's just $50 a month to get the glasses. And so we kind of remove this huge upfront barrier to get glasses. And it's just So your glasses with the software are paired in a monthly subscription purchase like software. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whenever we release wow. new hardware, we'll give you that for free. Whenever we release new software, you get that immediately. So that's amazing. So you've made it accessible as well. I was going to ask you your price. Sounds like you got there. So it's $50 a month. That includes the software and the hardware. I assume some element over time, you'll need to do hardware refreshes. This is amazing stuff. So that I guess that answers, maybe it doesn't, but how do you make money? You make money in some way around the subscription, but tell us a little bit about that and what your vision for that is. Yeah, so on the consumer side is the subscription that's 50 a month. And but we're also working with government subsidies. And so these programs, like in Alberta, there's something called the STEP program where they'll fund 80% of the technology for people's vision loss in Alberta. But these programs can't handle subscription costs. And so for them, we have this big one, one-time payment that they do upfront to get the glasses for people. And so those are kind of our two models where we make money. That's super cool. Just can't help but think what this has been a heck of a journey in a short period of time. You're obviously doing some amazing work and you've already created like your own unique differentiator against others, price capability. What's been like the hardest part, would you say so far? Yeah, I think the hardest part really is figuring out the tech is we have these huge promises with smart glasses and all the things that they can do and actually getting them done, especially like, you know, we're a startup, we have a small team. And so just working super hard, making a product that's useful. But I think that's also a good problem to have for startups where we're pretty confident that once we figure it out and once we have a product that is useful, there are people waiting for it. Like I, we really believe that there's a market for this. And I think that's been amazing throughout this journey is that we've been getting like some of the biggest players in the game to help us on early on, get like huge advisors. Like one of our advisors, his name's Jenison. He's the head of accessibility at LinkedIn. It's very early on. He's been helping us out. He's been actually paying for us to go to like conferences, things like that. And so we've had huge support and he himself is blind. And so we've had oh. huge support from these like people 
globally that are really passionate and want to see us build this out. Yeah, I can't help but think I'm going to have to introduce you to Ricardo Wagner if you haven't already met him from the Microsoft team. He works now in Brazil, but he was our accessibility lead and champion for Canada for a while. And so he's super passionate about this space. I can't help but think you should at least have a conversation with him. So hardest part's been getting the awareness out there, but you've got a lot of advocates and, and friendships and partnerships along the way, which is impressive. What's been your favorite part? Yeah, I, the, my favorite part is like recently now getting these calls, these like five minute calls where I get to talk to people using glasses. For sure, my favorite part, like whenever I'm like tired from coding or whatever, I just get to call somebody who's using glasses and they're like telling me whatever they use the glasses for that day. And it's just so uplifting. Like it's great having a product that's finally out into the market and hearing stories of people using it. There is somebody that said he uses the glasses to read canned food. And so before he would literally just pick up a can and like shake it and try and tell by the feel what's inside. And now he can just simply read it. And so hearing stories like that every day has just been amazing. Wow. Like you, I don't know how big or if you have a marketing team yet, but like the stories are writing themselves, like these case studies and all these examples and you're talking to them every day for five minutes. You must have so many amazing stories. Amazing work, dude. What's sort of like the next three, six months have in store for Celeste? What are like areas where, you know, if there's someone listening that could bridge a connection to your point earlier, those are like some amazing things, bridge a connection or help. What's sort of the next three to six months and what would you love people to help you out with? Yeah, absolutely. The next months, like I said, in September, we're releasing to 100 people. And so we're getting ready for that. We're getting the deposits again. So we're going to be releasing that. And then the big goal is end of 2024 to have 1,000 people on the subscription. And so in order to get there, right now we're raising pre-seed funding. And so everything we've done so far has been bootstrapped. We've had government grants, things like that. But now we're actually raising 750K. And so we've been talking to VCs, investors, impact funds, things like that. But if there are people in the VC space, like investors that are interested in what we're doing or people who know someone that may be interested in investing, that would be huge. And yeah, that's part. That's awesome. Any words of advice, things you've learned through Next36, things you've learned through your own journey? You went from being a university student to a founder. You're already making a huge impact. I'm sure a lot of people are skeptical that you could do that or skeptical that they could do that. What are like some of your advice, guidance, or wisdom that you'd share with others, either in your position or going on in a similar journey? Yeah, sure. This is actually something else I heard from Next36, which, by the way, that's good advice in and of itself. These accelerators are just amazing. Like there's an incredible community of people that are on this journey. It's really hard. Like normally as an entrepreneur, you're alone, you're doing this stuff by yourself, but seeing other people like and struggling together <laughs> has been great. One of the big piece of advice, again, this actually might be controversial as well, which is Ajay once said, you're not a real company until you have product market fit. If you're not, if you're not product market fit, you're just, you're not a company. <laughs> like you're not, it's not real. And that means, and we've been like guilty of this as well, of like going to conferences, getting an amazing list of advisors, doing like all these things that make you feel like you're running a startup. They don't really matter until you actually have something that helps people, until you're actually solving a problem with your like solution. And so that's until you've done that should be your number one thing. Like day and night should just be solve the problem and then go out and get bigger and market and do all these other important things you need to do. But it's easy to get caught up in that world before you're ready. Yeah. So like some of that's like getting people to actually pay for what you're building. <laughs> Validation. Is there like a scale, like an amount of people that are like paying for your product that's considered like you've found product market fit? Because I think it's transient, right? Like product market fit 
starts when people are actually willing to pay and that you didn't know them before and they were willing to pay, but probably goes all the way to like how much of the TAM is actually buying what you're using here and willing to advocate. Is there like a defined spectrum that you've learned about? Yeah, because you're like the product market fit is at different scales. And I actually don't think it's, I think it's very separated from money. I think money is a good way to test if you have product market fit. But like we, for example, got money before we even had a product. And so that's more problem market fit, where we know there is a problem that people are like, the way you pay for it, that doesn't mean our solution, our glasses necessarily solve it because they haven't even used it yet. And we notice that now, even if they have paid for it, there are still a lot of things we're working on. I don't think we're there yet. We've completely solved it. And I think the true metric is if somebody loves your solution. And that means like if they, for, especially this is useful in our case, where if they like can't live without it anymore, they're like telling everybody else about it. They just it made a huge impact on their life. I think that's a product market fit. And it's a different scale. Like our goal right now is just get 50 people that love it, die hard. They love it. They'll tell everyone about it. It's changed their life. And that's really, really hard. But that's a level of product market fit for us. And then it's scaling that to 1,000 people that love it and 10,000 people love it and so on. It's getting 50 people that love it right now. That's the goal. It's amazing. I, I love what you're doing. Anything I can do to help you achieve that goal, leverage me in any way. Shub, it's been an amazing dialogue around Celeste and what you're doing. So inspired by how quickly you're making this happen right out of university. Some amazing life lessons you're already sharing with us from Next36. Any closing words on your side before we sort of wrap up today? No, yeah. I mean, thank you for having me on here. Like, Microsoft has been a huge help for what we've done through Azure and everything else. And so it's great meeting you. And it's great being part of, being able to say that I was, I was part of Pitch Please because I know a bunch of people that went through it before. And so, yeah, happy to be here. Happy to have you on, man. I'm just happy to hear people's stories and be able to share them and advocate them. Again, if you tuned in, thank you for joining Pitch Please. If you know of an amazing startup, like Celeste or what they're doing, make sure to send them my way. I'd love to talk to them. Otherwise, make sure to catch us on the next episode. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Pitch Please podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. <laughs> Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Pitch Please, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.